What's happening? Welcome to the Cantori Show, the podcast. Appreciate you checking us out here. Feel free to subscribe today, sitting down with Todd Gloria and Barbara Bree, both facing off in a race to become the new mayor of San Diego, replacing the current mayor, Kevin Faulkner, who's termed out, can't run for re-election. But whoever wins November 3rd, right around the corner, will oversee San Diego's approximately 110 neighborhoods, more than 1.4 million residents, and over 372 square miles, making San Diego the nation's eighth largest city, second largest in California. And uh, keep in mind here, this is not a political show. I'm not some political talking head. Uh, If anything, I'm just... uh, I'm a DJ. I'm an, I'm an FM radio DJ who, who's now podcasting, and I love our town. And, and I have since the day I moved here back in the, uh, the mid, mid-80s to attend San Diego State. Never looked back. I, I've worked in media on and off radio for, for a quarter century, which is a trip. I, I married a local lakeside girl. I've got two kids, one in ninth grade, the other in sixth and uh, I'm very passionate about San Diego. Everything from the arts to the culture, sports teams, go Padres, darn you Spanos. <laughs> and I'm taking, like many of us, this election very seriously. So got to spend some time with both Todd. He actually came over to the house and uh, Barbara via Zoom before we get to those interviews, I do need to thank our sponsors. Uh, starting off, this is kind of funny, uh, March and Ash, San Diego's premier cannabis dispensary. <laughs> you could find them at marchandash.com, or you could visit them in Mission Valley. Also coming to City Heights, voted North County's number one dispensary. They're out in Vista, also out in Imperial if you're heading east. Legal, safe, reliable. Uh, we learned during this pandemic, essential, <laughs> marchandash.com. They've got curbside pickup, delivery, the whole bit. Also want to thank Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance, bajabound.com. It's the easiest way to get a Mexican auto insurance policy. They've been in business since the 90s. I've been using them uh, for surf trips, going down the wine country. Now I understand due to the pandemic, Uh, There are a lot of regulations in place, and you can learn about the regulations, the limitations, everything you need to know, BajaBound.com. People still traveling south for business. Uh, People own residences down there. You know, we talk a lot about housing, for example, uh, with our mayoral candidates here. And a lot of people I know have moved down to Baja because they can't make ends meet in San Diego. So uh, if you're heading south, whether it's to live, visit, work, not much playing going on right now, but BajaBound.com. So first up, Todd Gloria, currently California Assembly member representing the 78th District. Got his bachelor's degree in history, Poli Sci, USD. He's lived in San Diego all his life, currently Mission Hills, and uh, joins us now. How we doing, Todd? I'm doing great. How are you, Chris? Awesome. It's so nice to have you here at my house. It's so zen. I don't know how many of your listeners can check this out, but it's, it's lovely. What do you see? Well, I see uh, 
one of those jumpy things. Uh, trampoline. Trampoline. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those jumpy things. I, that's um for for anyone who's not here. I mean, this thing's huge. It um, is a big trampoline. That's the some, COVID trampoline that's for the good. kids. Oh, okay. Was that this is post COVID when exactly. you got this? You're, what a good dad you are. There you go. I got a luscious tropical vibe. I got a nice deck situation here. Lots of lounge chairs. This is yeah, a nice scene. We're chilling. And it's so nice having you here. And it's funny. I told some of my friends that you were coming over. They're like, Todd Glorious coming to your house? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. They're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. We're just going to talk. I'm getting adjusted to the fact that I have like this sort of fatherly presence in some people's mind. Like, what? They're coming over. He called you. Like, yeah, I'm just a regular guy. But uh, I recognize that has that effect on some people. Yeah, they were like expecting me to remodel or something. Exactly. Or put in a new addition or redo the deck because you're coming <laughs> over. I'm like, hell no. I'll pick up some dog crap. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, this morning I'm waking up and you know I don't have air conditioning, which isn't a problem this week. But uh, you know, sort of uh, tripping over the fan that I need to go put in storage because right, I don't need it anymore. Uh, my my refrigerator door that you know sounds like a like a horror house door opening sure uh yeah i'm not living the lap of luxury myself and a lot of people would assume that though right they do that they you're do. living high on the hill homeowner in a huge mansion in mission hills or something they totally do and it, yeah so i don't give off the right vibe because i am in in mission hills for the city's purposes uh but i would imagine that uh, some of your uh listeners are more familiar with uh uh, Lucha Libre Taco Shop, which is essentially what I live above. Heck <laughs> you yes. know? So yeah, it's Mission Hills, but it ain't, you know, historic district Mission no, Hills. You're stumbling <laughs> distance from the old bar dynamite. Exactly. I and get it. I'm like, I'm nice adjacent, right? I, I'm, I can That's walk hilarious. up a really steep hill and I see some gorgeous homes. Uh, the apartment building I live in is a little more Three's Company Jack Tripper style. But don't you think that's what people do? I, I know that's what I love about you is the fact that you're kind of like an everyman, everyman San Diegan. Like we are all in the same place where I don't put you in a different category. You're not living on Mount Soledad in a mansion looking down on the beach. No, I am not doing that. And And I do think it's a good thing, right? You know, it's fine to, to have people of all stripes and everyone should be able to participate in democracy. That's that's the whole point of it. But when you have everyone live a particular way, um, then things get missed. And so I get this call every couple of weeks or Nick Serrano from my team who's my communications director gets the call of, I'm the only uh, renter in the legislature. Out of 120 legislators, I'm the only one that rents That's amazing a, a to me. And, you know, the, these phone calls always start with, you're a renter. It's like dripping with judgment. And I was like, yeah. well, about half the state is. So there's actually literally nothing wrong with that. Um, but secondarily, that's important. And it kind of explains, I think, some of the housing crisis in the state when you recognize that a lot of the people making these decisions don't go home at the end of their workday worried that they're going to find a rent increase notice on the door. Yep. And if you're not living that life, then you're not going to understand. My, my situation is we don't have on-site laundry, so I got to go to the laundromat. So, you know, hunting for quarters in 2020 is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> but I think for most San Diegans, you kind of want some of your elected leaders to understand what they're dealing with. And that's why we have a representative democracy. Thousand percent. And it even relates to my first actual connection to you. I think back to uh, the time during the recession. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to you because I was in the process of losing my house. Yeah and ultimately did. And that was such a traumatic time in my life. And the fact that you had empathy for me, my family, and helped us make connections in Washington that ultimately <laughs> led nowhere. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that you were in my corner yeah. during a very vulnerable time in my life, 
meant so much to me. I would never in a million years expect to be a renter right now. Yeah. I should be one of these houses putting on that second edition or adding in a pool. That's Bec right. But because of circumstances, here we are. And I feel like you really understand that. Well, it's our generation's challenge, right? We were told that if you did everything right, you too could have this American dream lifestyle. Yes. And what we've discovered is that we did everything right. We went to school. We got good jobs. We were, were paid a decent wage, but we can't keep up. Yep. And one of the things I like to decode for people is kind of why, because, and I think about my brother who's in the same boat as you and I, right? He and I are the first in our family to graduate from college. He has a good paying job at a local defense contractor. He and his wife and their kids uh, rent a very small home and they can't foresee being able to buy a home ever, right? They don't see a future for themselves here in San Diego. Same. And when I listen to my brother, you know, he takes- and how old's your brother? He is 44. Yeah, I'm 50. And I'm 42. So we're, here we are. We've done the same, but we're not where our parents were, right? Our, my mom and dad made in a gardener. We're able to buy a home in San Diego. Yep. But that's because it was 30 years ago, same. right? And when, I, when my brother starts taking this on as a personal failing, um, you know, I always try something. It's not your fault because here's, here's some statistics I think are important. The city did a report about a year ago, and it looked at the number of permits that were issued in our city over the last 10 years for new homes. They issued 33,000 new home permits in our city, which just from jump, as you know, is basically half what we need for population growth, right? So we're only accommodating uh, one out of every two new San Diegans. Of that 33,000, 27,000 of those homes were at the luxury end of the market, Yep. right? These are the tall towers downtown, the big boxes in Mission Valley, the big stuff that's really expensive, right? Of that 33,000, 4,000 were low and very low income homes, right? These are the homes that are affordable housing inclusionary policies required to sure, be built. Of course. In that 10 year period, Chris, just 33 homes from working in middle class San Diego. That's my point. And so when my brother's feeling the way that he does, or you feel the way you do, or sometimes I feel the same way, you know, you recognize that it isn't necessarily that we've done anything wrong. It's the fact that we as a community are not building housing where we need to be built, which is priced for working in middle-class San Diego. And until we solve that issue, we're going to increasingly become a city of just the very wealthy who can afford to live here and the very poor who are trapped here. And I feel like we've been on that track for a while now, and I'm seeing it. I feel like what I've feared for years yeah. is becoming reality. We're two houses down. You know, We were joking, I'm in Baja, Kensington, and that house is going for $1.2 million. Right. Who's moving into these places? Right. They're not my friends. Where are these people coming from? And yeah. on top of that, are we going to have this situation where we do have all these outsiders that don't have loyalty to the community? And yeah. it's what drives our football teams out of town or why we have to have winning products on the field to have the community back the community. Yeah. So what's interesting about it is that when I talk to businesses, you know, corporate titans and, and right. job creators, whatever, you know, their main concern is housing. Because to your point about people coming from outside, what they discover is they can't recruit and retain talent here, right? Because you make a job offer to someone who lives outside of the city and they look quickly to see what they can get here. And they're right. like, great job, but I can't make a go with it. I'm not coming here, right? Yeah. And kind of the way I phrase this is that we've been getting by on our good looks for a long time. Oh, that's city, good. Right? You're so right. And I think the pandemic's going to speed this up because increasingly, you know, our economy works on what you know and the talents and skills that you have, right? And as long as you have an internet connection, you can increasingly do that from really anywhere in the world. Yep. And the pandemic is speeding that up. I agree. And so if we can't make a competitive case, not just the fact that we have an incredible climate, we're sitting in your backyard and it's lovely, right? Yeah. Um, but that we have housing that you can afford, that we have the quality of life and the arts and culture. You mentioned uh, professional sports. That's a part of that. Uh, to 
attract people to come here. Yeah. It's like bands. Bands skip San Diego because they know we're such a slow moving town and we're a creeper city and last minute we'll decide whether or not we want to go to a show. But the way it has an impact on the arts is tremendous as well because you don't have people that are like, I want to make sure the Casbah stays there because I've been going there for 40 years. No, you haven't. You just moved here four months ago. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you are seeing the concern that I have is if we don't make a competitive case for ourselves, and by the way, we have plenty to, to sell, right? But um, if we don't solve this housing issue fundamentally, right. if we don't have the kinds of offerings uh, that either attract people here or keep them here, then folks, visitors or natives alike, we're going to choose to go somewhere else. Someone like my brother and his wife, you know, constantly kind of have an eye on the door I know. because they think, well, you know, we can buy a much bigger place and fill in the blank, uh, you know, community. And that would give us the kind of security that we're looking for, right? And that's not too much to ask, particularly if you've done everything right, particularly if you're working hard and playing by the rules. Yeah, and because of that, and, and seeing so many of my friends migrate out of town or have that consider, you know, myself, I've never considered moving out of San Diego until the last year or so because of what we're talking about. And, and I'm genuinely curious if you've heard this statement before, which is something I have felt and uh, I've never shared or vocalized. And that is, I almost feel like a stranger in my own city. Mm. Is that me? Is that just me aging out? <laughs> is that, you know, I really don't know, but sometimes I feel like I'm a stranger in my own town. Like the buildings look different, the people look different. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, that makes sense in the context of COVID, right? I certainly have people sort of feel like the look and feel of our community's changed and we understand why. It sounds like you're talking about it from a much more, yeah, longer term more of situation. a have versus have nots and yeah. just how the, the city is operating and moving. Yeah. I, you know, I think some of that has to do with age because I don't know about yeah. you, but some of the places I go to, I'm starting to feel like maybe I should leave a little earlier. Yeah. And I'm willing to own that. Trust me. I am willing to own that. But I, I just I, have so much love for this city and there is a little of wanting to restore that magic. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I'm running for mayor because I believe that's possible, you know, yeah. and, um, it's going to take some work. There's no question about it, but I think San Diego is worth fighting for, you know, a thousand percent third generation San Diegan. A big part of the reason I'm running is that I know where we've been, right? Yeah. I have a sense of, I think what you're referring to in terms of what was is, is or was so special about us. And, you know, I, I think about the fact that this town, um, you know, my grandparents came from all around the world, right? They came from Puerto Rico and the Philippines and Alaska and Oklahoma, and they came to San Diego because of the military and yeah. then they stayed. Uh, and they built lives for themselves. My mother and father are blue-collar people, uh, you know, high school educated, but they built a life for themselves. And they allowed my brother and I to go to college, the first in our family to go. This story was possible in this city. And I think what you're saying is what I observe, which is that stories like mine aren't as possible any longer. Thousand there's percent. a real likelihood that you and I can't achieve what our parents did not long ago to buy a home and, and, and retire comfortably or what have you. Um, and you need a mayor that's going to fight like heck against that, right? Yeah. That's going to go to work every day and say, you know what, you know, uh, s sports fields and arenas and all that stuff are, are, are they're important. But the most important thing is, is there anyone sitting in that audience? Exactly. Right? That's how I felt with the uh, everyone celebrating what's going on down in the Midway District mm -hmm. and everything. And the first thing I'm thinking about is housing. Well, and I appreciate you saying that because I'm very supportive of Measure E. To your point about all the bands that skip us, you know, it's in part because the venue is not 
comparable. Right. Sacramento has a nicer arena than we do. It's Did a dumpster ever, fire. Stop me if I ever told you this story, but I so I took my parents to see uh, Fleetwood Mac there not that long ago. Oh, good for you. And, uh, you know, just trying to be a good son, you know, trying to, you know, they've worked hard to give me this life and I got to yeah. pay it back, right? And, uh, you know, this is a little more storytelling now that it is singing, right? <laughs> but of course. So, uh, Stevie Nicks at the beginning, like the f- uh, second or third song tells a story. She's like, you know, Fleetwood Mac had its first world tour in 1968, whatever. We got on a bus in Berkeley, California, drove to San Diego, we performed in this arena and I'm here to tell you 40 years later it looks exactly the same <laughs> the dressing room is exactly the same the green room is exactly the same it was the shadiest comment that's hysterical <laughs> and she's right she's right Cameron Crowe said the same thing when he came back to film Almost Famous and then he came back to do the production in Balboa Park at the Globe and he's like the place hasn't changed <laughs> even since the remodel sorry Ernie <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the Measure E situation that's not only an opportunity to build a new arena, not at taxpayer expense, but to use that land to build more housing that's affordable please, for working people, right? Please, because you know you listen. I'm sh- that the Chili's is nice, <laughs> the AMPM is fine, Chick-fil-A. but we can do better. And you may know that land is owned by us, right? That is owned exactly. by the city of San Diego. We, the public, own that land. And when you take the land cost out of a deal, the rents can fall. Right. And so I see that not just as an opportunity uh, to invite uh, Stevie Nicks back to San Diego and <laughs> ever see an amazing new arena that would cause her to con- go on the 900th revival tour of Fleetwood Mac, but also a chance for people to live on that particular property at rents that are affordable to average working people. What's going on in Mission Valley? I see all the development there and I'm just like, what the hell? Well, there's a lot and there's a lot more coming. Right? Yeah. So, Quarry Falls, now Savita, you know, there's 4,000 plus units planned for there. SDSU West, the former Qualcomm, sure. Jack Murphy Stadium, 4,000 units planned there. Uh, City Council will soon consider uh, converting the Riverwalk Golf Course into also a urban village community. Um, and then you keep seeing the car dealerships flip over. And part of that, there's sort of two reasons that's sort of driving that. Um, one is, you know, the large parcels of land, right? It isn't negotiating with 10 individual single-family homeowners. Mm, you know, it's right. dealing with one family trust that owns the golf course. It's dealing with the city of San Diego that owned the uh, arena, the football stadium. And so th- th- some of that's convenience. The other part is that, you know, increasingly we have asked um, only a handful of communities to accept new housing growth. It's generally downtown and Mission Valley, some uptown communities. And when you do that, the pressure becomes even greater, right? My observation is that, you know, every community needs to be a part of the solution, right? That if every community does a little bit, no one neighborhood is going to be radically changed. Right. Getting back to our part of point of, do we recognize where we're at? And, you know, what, what, what tiebacks are there to what we know, remember, and love about the community? And so, you know, Mission Valley happens to be a place where until recently there weren't a lot of residents. The residents that are there have only lived there a short while. And so you don't have the same uh, oppositional pressures that you have in some other communities that often cause development not to happen, go somewhere else, what have you. Um, so there's a lot of change coming there. And Grantville's going to blow up too. You already see some stuff going on in Grantville. Whew. And some of that's good in the sense that it's next to the trolley line, right? And same kind of issue, right? So a lot of those, uh, the, the, the MTS has wisely understood that Hey, you know, we have these big surface parking lots next to these trolley stops, so we can put some housing on that. Right. right? Housing that's affordable. Again, these are su- subsidized units. That's a good thing, right? Um, and if folks are have an actual viable opportunity to take public transit rather than to drive their car, I think you should have the choice. But, you know, right now, pe- most people don't have a choice. Right. It's just a car, right? That's it. But if you build it near these trolley lines, and if we build more trolley lines, which is a big 
to be continued because it's not clear that we will without different leadership and vision. Um, then all of a sudden you start getting the contours of something that does approximate what people can actually afford to live in. And by the way, this has the benefits of attracting those jobs that I was talking about before. Yep. And also has the, uh, the happy coincidence of helping us address our climate action plan goals. So how do we feel about uh, the homeless situation right now? I feel like we were celebrating victories that were, in some cases, false celebrations. I feel like uh, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, yeah. right? We do. And it's funny that you would bring that up because what has been shocking to me in the course of this mayor's race is that it doesn't matter what community I'm in, all of them identify homelessness as yeah. the biggest issue. And Chris, that was before the pandemic, but it's still Agreed. true today. thousand percent. And while that's regrettable because you know it's, it's, a, it's a shame, right? We are a wealthy city and a wealthy state and a wealth, the wealthiest nation on earth, and we shouldn't have over 8,000 of our fellow San Diegans unsheltered and, yep. and unhoused. But if I, you know, ever the optimist, you know, if I invert that, I want to say, well, if every community sees this as a problem, then that says to me that we have a will to fix it, uh, to address it. And, you know, one of the concerns I have about our city is that we're often a big city that operates like a small town. Truth. And there's a charm to that. I was going to say, that's one of the things I love about it, but it there's, has its... It has its downside. And I think this is one of them because we are the eighth largest city in the country but we have the fifth largest homeless population in the United States. Dang. Chris, we are spending more than we ever have on this problem. The city's going to spend in excess of $150 million this year on homelessness. But I think neither of us would say this problem is getting better. No, nope. We would say that it's getting worse. Yeah. Right? And the, the small town component of that is that rather than investing in the kinds of stuff that have been proven to work, national best practices, housing first, we're instead buying bankrupted indoor skydiving facilities <laughs> from politically connected developers uh, to turn into a homeless services center. center that doesn't house anybody. So why? So they can get their money back on their failed investment and in putting a fly center down there? Is that is that the reasoning? I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable dis, uh, uh, conclusion. There, this was the subject of a federal investigation. It was that kind Whoa. of unusual of a deal. And you may have saw just yesterday the city council voted to start over on this site, right? Yeah. Because in a year of operation there, it just hasn't worked out. And that kind of gets back to how you can spend 150 million bucks, but not have anyone feel like this is getting better. And you know, my observation is that we we can do better than this. And what you need to know, what your listeners need to know, is that there are cities across this nation that are being certified as ending chronic homelessness in their community. They are seeing tremendous progress. Now, clearly, we're not one of them, but. I don't think there's anything special in Provo, Utah, or Rockford, Illinois, or the state of Virginia as it, as, it compare, uh, as it relates to veteran homelessness. They've got nothing up on us. If they can do it, we can do it. Right. The difference is whether or not you're going to you know, quit buying uh, you know, defunct real estate from your buddy and instead use that money on something that's proven to actually get people off the streets. The right programs. Correct. How do you feel uh, we've been responding to the whole COVID crisis? It frightens me how polarizing it yeah. is, Todd. And uh, in fact, I woke up this morning and I put up a picture of uh, last night's being a big baseball guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I love our, love our Padres. Yes. And I put up a picture of uh, Justin Turner, JT, of the Dodgers after he had gotten removed from the game. And then uh, because he got a test back mid-game, COVID positive. And then after the game, he's taking a picture without a mask next to San Diego and Dave Roberts, yeah. who I love and adore. 
and, and I put up what I thought was a not an innocuous statement on Facebook where there's there's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, this is why the public is so confused. You take a guy out of the game because he's COVID positive, but then the same organization allows the guy to go back on the field and sit next to Dave Roberts, a cancer survivor without a mask. No wonder we're confused. And the divisiveness that started coming on my feed, I had to delete it. Wow. Because it just got so nasty. I, I'm yeah. getting yelled at for not letting a man celebrate his moment. They've been together for two weeks. I'm afraid. I, You know, the whole bit. Yeah. I'm not on the front lines like you. How are you navigating through this? It's, it's funny that you share that because I had all those thoughts when I saw that same picture this morning, uh, not in your social media feed, but somewhere else. I'm thinking, this ain't good. Right. And, um, and I'm with you. I, I was talking to a voter yesterday who... His view of this pandemic is not rooted in facts, in my opinion. Right. Um, well, it isn't rooted in facts, and that's a fact. Uh, we have a difference of opinion on how you deal with this. The um, you asked the question about how we have done. Um, you know, I, I, like any politician, I'm gonna have two answers for you. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so here's 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 one observation. Uh, and at, when the state about a month and a half ago or so instituted the four tier system. San Diego County was the only tier, only county in Southern California that was in tier two rather than tier one. So right. we had less restrictions on us. Truth. And that is data that proves that some of what's been going on here has been good, right? And some of that has been about the public health response, but some of that is just San Diegans being who and what we are, which I think are generally a cohesive community that kind of gets it, right? Um, but the second answer to that is schools still aren't open. Right. right? The, My son's in the bedroom right there. Why does a ghost... From being in his room on a computer. Right. <laughs> You're living out the flowers in the attic books oh, from, the, from the 80s. It's the worst. Um, and so when I, so, you know, again, forgive the kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth sort of piece of this, but, you know, okay, so we have some of our restaurants and bars open and, and that's good, right? And you and I both know a lot of those owners. We know how they're struggling. We know how many of our friends work in that industry and need their jobs. But then we look at the fact that, you know, our kids are suffering, right? And the school district's trying, but you know they don't have the tests, the PPE, yep. uh, the school nurses, all that kind of stuff that they need to reopen our public schools the way that many of our private schools have reopened. And in my mind, if we're not taking care of our kids, we're not getting the job done. I agree. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of this will be resolved by a new federal leadership. You know, it, it, it hurts to not have a strong national leader. I, I ask your viewer or your listeners to think of it from a from a Costco perspective, right? When you when you buy the toilet paper in 36 in a roll or when you buy it one at a time, there's a cost difference, right? Yep. <laughs> if the United States of America, the world's largest global economy, had a cohesive strategy for the acquisition of uh, personal protective equipment and testing and contact tracing, yes. so on and so forth, we could get more done. We're blessed because we're Californians. And if California was its own country, we'd be the fifth largest economy in the world, yeah. right? But, but there's so much hate against California right now. That's a part of it. And- even if we're fifth, that means we're still not number one. And right. we're a part of a nation that should be working cohesively and co uh, uh, together to get this done. Look at what's happened in New Zealand and other places where they've seen tremendous progress. And they're many ways are back to normal again. And how is it they accomplished that and we have not? Again, I would say largely has to do with a lack of federal leadership um, that leaves state and local officials kind of choosing between uh, okay and a worse option, right? Yeah. You know, rather than 
what's the best thing for our kids? What's the best thing for our economy? What's the best thing for workers? You know, the fact that Congress hasn't passed a major stimulus bill since March 27th should tell you everything you need to know right. about where this has fallen in people's priorities. They it's, swiftly it's amazing. appointed a new Supreme Court justice in a month, but they haven't passed stimulus relief that would help small businesses and tenants who are behind on their rent and mortgage holders who are behind on their it's mortgages. It's been three plus months. It's been since what, July now? The, so those like, things ran out, right. right? So they were authorized back in March. They run out in July. July they, yeah. they enhanced unemployment. All that kind of stuff runs out. And then, you know, I saw some some statistics the other day talking about yeah, people have been okay. I'm like, well, yeah, they've been okay because they've been receiving assistance. Ask that question again in a month or two. Forget it. When you've been three, four months away from enhanced unemployment. Done. When your PPP loan is run out. What are we going to do? And why would we let it get to that point? Why wouldn't we be consistent in making sure that, hey, are the, the testing still going on? We've still got a virus. we still got outbreaks. Well, we, have to, we, sh we need to continue that commitment. Otherwise, the housing crisis that we're talking about that was bad before this Oof. could be substantially worse That's after. what I was going to say. You're going to have more people like me during the recession calling you saying, help, help. Right. And, and your hands are tied. Right. Now, this isn't a... Um... I don't want this to sound too negative when, when, when I pose this and put this out there, but it's just strictly observational from my vantage, which is during this entire pandemic, and I ask this because you're running for mayor, where has our mayor been? Um, I'd say in the early part, you'd see him every day about 4.30 in the afternoon on TV, right? And eventually those petered out and, right. and went away, which is probably part of what you're picking up on. In, in some ways, that's a function of the office, right? Public health is a responsibility of the county and the state. But the mayor of San Diego is the biggest bully pulpit in this region, right? Everyone knows who the mayor is. And when the mayor calls a press conference, everyone shows up. Sure. Right? And so going back to this issue about our children and whether our schools are open or not, the city doesn't have direct responsibility for the schools, right? That we have a separately elected school board that does that work. But by God, if I was the mayor, you know, I would be working my tail off to make sure that we got the PPE and the testing. So that that's why I'm posing the question to you. So it's, it's a, it's a situation of, okay, you know, we don't have a public health department. Uh, you know, Wilma Wooten, who's everyone come to understand is our County health right. officer who makes a lot of the decisions about what we can do and can and can't do. She's a County employee, not a city employee, but that's okay because you can play an assistive role, right? Um, you know, you call the governor as the mayor of San Diego, you can get your call pick answered, right? right? Um, you know, we have a, a mayor who's a Republican. Presumably, you can call the president and get 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 through in the way that right? you know, others couldn't. And so, I think that's some of the challenge. There's some structural pieces about what is the direct responsibilities of the city, but my orientation to this job isn't going to be limited by that. It's a recognition that you have this platform from which to advocate for your city. And in this particular time, you know, a couple months ago, it might have been about roads, and that's all city, and that's all city's responsibility, and you could do that, right? But in this case. You know, much like with, say, immigration, right? You know, city doesn't do immigration. That's a federal responsibility. But you're a border city, and you better be speaking about it because so many in our community experience the border differently than the rest of the country does, and you have a responsibility to articulate that to other folks. As mayor, you should be articulating and explaining how can we help the school district to get done what we need them to do, which is to reopen safely so that people can send their kids to school and go back to work. Now, my last, uh, last question for you here is... Um... Before I lost my job mm -hmm. at 100.7, mm -hmm. I had you on the radio show. 
And uh, in fact, believe it or not, I took a lot of shit from my management for that. Really? I'm yes. sorry. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't care. <laughs> I wanted to go down swinging anyway. But That's the Chris uh, Kentoy we know and love. Come on now. They're like, we told you, no politicians. I'm like, Todd, he's just a friend. I literally just played that. He's a buddy who happens to be a politician. Oh, my gosh. But uh, after your appearance, I did get some uh, opposition from peers because of the whole your support about AB five, yes, and please pardon my ignorance. Mm. I just want to give you the stage to explain it. Yeah, your role, and if people are concerned, they could take a, a deep breath. Yeah, I think they they can and they should, and um, and I appreciate that because there's some misinformation about that. This has been politicized in the course of the mayoral I campaign. Agree. And um, so let, let's, it, it takes a bit of a storytelling so to, to kind of explain it where, how we got here. So in 2018, the state Supreme Court issued a ruling known as Dynamex. And Dynamex is addressing what is known as worker misclassification. In your life, you've probably worked as a W-2 employee. You've also probably been a 1099 employee, Always. right? And the differences between when you're W-2 or 1099 um, had some prescriptions under law. Dynamex created a new three-part uh, test to determine whether or not you're a W-2 or a 1099. And what it effectively does is put a whole lot more people as W-2s mm. than 1099s. Right. Um, and the upside of that for the workers, is you access minimum wage, health benefits, paid yeah. sick days, unemployment insurance, Social Security, et cetera. Uh, being a 1099, you don't get any of that. And so Dynamex happened 2018. In 2019, we passed a bill known as AB5, uh, a, a bill I voted for. And what it did was take, um, create a number of exemptions from uh, the Dynamex decision. Because one of the groups that was ca uh, caught up in uh, Dynamex is your hair stylist, your barber, or your, your, uh, your stylist. These are folks who traditionally operated as independent contractors. Under the Dynamex case, they couldn't, um, they couldn't pass that three-part test, so they became W-2 employees. AB5 exempted stylists uh, from Dynamex and a host of other uh, um, uh, professions. Uh, acknowledging that they control their work product, they control their time, yep. they control their rates. Makes um, sense. They simply run a booth in a salon. So they're not an employee of the salon, they're their own employee. Independent contractors. Right. Um, this past year, and probably some of the folks who are in touch with you, is we passed a second bill that exempted a lot of creative types. So yep. writers, photographers, uh, actors, performers, musicians. Um, so they no longer are uh, in Dynamax. They are now part of the AB5 exemptions. Um, Here's the thing. Right now, uh, voters are going to vote on Prop 22. And Prop 22 would further exempt gig workers, specifically app-based drivers. So yeah. Uber, Lyft, Postmates. And I don't support that. I'm, I'm, I'm voting no on Prop 22. And I'm doing this because, unlike those other professions I mentioned, hairstylists, accountants, um, physicians, um, these folks don't get to determine their own rates, right? If you are an app driver... You're you, you're a victim of that app. Yeah, you're, you're on it. You're on it, and you're part of the machine. You're part of the product. You don't set the rates. You may get to choose your time, but you, you certainly don't earn a minimum wage. Um, you don't have health care. You don't have earned sick days. You don't have unemployment insurance. You don't have Social Security. And here's the thing. The only ones benefiting from that are the employer. Yeah, are right? the apps, when are they the tech don't, companies. When they don't pay into the Social Security Trust Fund or they don't pay into the Unemployment Trust Fund, that money goes in their pockets. It doesn't exactly. go in the worker's pocket. And importantly, as your elected official, I'm I'm tasked with making sure that these public programs are financed, right? Our grandparents are drawing social security checks today based off of the contributions of workers from today, 
Yep. Right. And when we have more, fewer and fewer people paying into these systems in California, it's over half a million people who we believe have been misclassified. That's billions of dollars not going to these systems. You may know that in this pandemic, the huge increase in the number of people applying for unemployment insurance has essentially made the fund insolvent. And we're now borrowing from the federal government yep. to pay out these, these things. Well, we wouldn't be as insolvent if everyone who is actual employee were paying into it. Paying so they're doing their part. More work must be done on employment classification. The world of work is changing. There's no question about it. But the question for voters when it comes to Prop 22 or whether or not they support um, or oppose Dynamex AB5 and follow-on legislation is, do you believe in minimum wages? Do you believe in employer-based health care? Do you believe that you should access unemployment insurance? Do you believe at the end of a lifetime of work you should access Social Security benefits? If you believe in all those things, then you support Dynamex, you support AB5, and you'd vote no on Prop 22. Um, and that would be in line with right. me. There are definitely people who don't feel that way. They, you know, let me fend for myself. But Chris, I can tell you, a lot of those fend for yourself people were calling my office back in March, April, right? and May when they discovered that they didn't have access to unemployment benefits and they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Or they have spouses or partners who are gainfully employed and what happens when they lose their jobs. Right. You're making perfect sense here and it sounds like due to those exemptions, we can't, my artist friends and musicians and actors and they can breathe a little bit more, right? They, they can and, and that all got lost amongst the pandemic, right? So, you know, 85 took effect January 1 of this year. People who have represented what this has done to the economy, I don't think have a lot of data to back it up because it's clouded by the pandemic. Right. And then at the same time, we were passing additional exemptions, again, for a lot, a lot of creative types and other folks. And I suspect this will continue to move forward. What we've discovered is that, you know, with any law, none of them are perfect on day one. And what you must have a commitment to, and this can be sometimes hard in this business where people don't want to admit that they can improve or fix something that they've previously done. I've never had that problem. Um, to say, okay, well, Dynamex wasn't working out great. Everyone wanted some, something changed. We did AB5. There's some critics of that. We've made some follow-on legislation to fix that. And it may be that there's some fill-in-the-blank profession that, that is still caught up in Dynamex but, no longer, but doesn't belong there. What the legislature has shown that when, when shown, hey, we don't belong in this. We do, in fact, control our, ourselves, our intellectual property, so on and so forth. Then, then the legislature's been willing to grant those exemptions. I think what what is more common is a bit about what you described from your own personal experience, or frankly, a lot of other folks who apply for a job, get it, find out they're a 1099, but they don't have they don't have any control in the situation. Yep. Right. They just like, well, either you can have a job as a 1099, or you can have nothing. Yeah. And they'll choose that. And the most common thing is to find out later the income tax implications of that, <laughs> and you find out the hard way. Find out the very hard way. If this is the future of work. Kind of where we started this conversation about whether or not hardworking people can afford to live in a place expensive as San Diego or California. I think we know what the answer is going to be if this is the future of work. Well, thank you for leading the way. I wish you the uh, the absolute best of luck during the election. Uh, you're a stand-up dude, and uh, I really appreciate you coming by, Todd. My absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you to Todd, and thank you for listening to The Cantori Show here. The podcast, do want to remind you, you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and we certainly encourage you to do so. Our last episode actually was a, was a great one. It was a sit-down with Ralph Rubio since filing Chapter 11. A lot of questions about the future of Rubio's, home of the fish taco, and uh, Ralph and I get into that in, in the last podcast. Now... We sit down with Barbara Bree, and I'm going to be honest with you. I called her Bry for, for many years. I have a theory, which is the actual pronunciation is Bry, but it's been changed to Bree because Bry rhymes with lie.
and in the political climate, you, you, you can't have a gimme like that. You know, it's just too easy to make the connection. So Brie, full of glee. Bry, lie. I, I'd go with Brie as well. And uh, Barbara here, local businesswoman, also a San Diego City Council member representing District 1, bachelor's degree from the University of Pennsylvania, master's degree from Harvard Business School. What? That's pretty impressive. Has lived in San Diego about the same amount of time as me, almost 40 years, and uh, currently resides in La Jolla. Been there for 20 years, and uh, we Zoom with Barbara right now. I'm ready for the election to be done and, um, you know, hopefully an outcome where I'm the next mayor and fighting for every vote till the end. You know, in all transparency, I had Todd over yesterday and I've known Todd in the community for years and uh, you're doing a great job. You really are giving Todd a run for his money. And, I, and I'm not sure how this is all going to play out. I'll be honest with you. It's going to be close. Yeah, right. But I am giving him a run for his money, which he never, ever expected. I didn't expect it. I'll tell you that much, especially here in the 11th hour. You've got some great momentum. As somebody who is so familiar with, uh, with Todd's platform, I'm just curious, how will you be a different leader than Todd? And how are your plans different than his? Yeah, so I think, first of all, there's differences in our backgrounds, which will give you an indication of how we will lead the city differently. And then there are specific issues in our policies. Uh, first of all, we are both Democrats. And this is the first time in San Diego history that two Democrats are in the final two for mayor. Yep. I am the independent Democrat and he is the Democrat who is supported by the special interests across the political spectrum. And these special interests have controlled City Hall for a long time. Uh, they're a part of the backroom deals we've seen, uh, that, and I've personally seen them at City Hall. So let me step back and first tell you why I ran for office in the first time back in 2016, um, after you know a 30-year career in the tech and biotech worlds. Um, I ran because the street in front of my office was being torn up over and over again to have the same work done. I got to City Hall, and what I found is a place where there is no accountability and no transparency and where major, major decisions are made behind closed doors. Drives me crazy too. Right. It started long before I got to City Hall. Thousand percent. When Todd was there. And it's why we have the 101 Ash Street deal, which he enthusiastically promoted. You just have to go back and look at the public testimony. And that backroom deal was engineered by different groups of special interests. The special interest that was pushing Todd was the city's largest labor union, the Municipal Employees Association. And FYI, they put $250,000 into defeating me. That's part of the 1.4 million in special interest money aimed at me. Um, and on the other side, we had the mayor, Faulkner, wanting the deal to close to benefit a major supporter, Doug Manchester. So there were two different groups of interests that wanted the deal to close. The city knowingly paid over the appraised value, it's in public documentation back then. And that's why they had to do this complicated lease purchase with Sestera in the middle as the straw seller. And 
they had, and the city accepted extraordinary indemnity language that is on page one of the agreement, which I read after I got to city hall. So that is one of the backroom deals that is costing the taxpayers, you know, tens of millions of dollars. There is a way out. I think the deal was illegal. A lot has been written. I think we can get the taxpayers out of this deal. And that's what I will do as mayor. So that's the first backroom deal that the second one was after the Chargers left San Diego. I assumed the mayor would do a request for proposal and RFP for the land in Mission Valley. Instead, we found out he'd been meeting behind closed doors for over a year with a group of private investors called Soccer City. Yep. I actually took the time to read that ballot measure, all thousand plus pages, and I realized it was a ripoff for San Diego. And I stood up as a new council member and said, Soccer City is not the only option for Mission Valley. And I had the credibility because of my business background to be taken seriously. And as you know, Soccer City went down in flames and a competing ballot measure SDSUS passed. Then the special interests again tried to torpedo the deal. And there was a torturous 18 months of negotiations, again, behind closed doors. The council and the public were excluded. If there had been all these complicated policy issues, the city attorney should have brought them to the city council to debate them in public. Uh, we finally persevered, mostly because of the pandemic. Uh, how were you going to tell the voters? We hadn't closed the deal. We were gonna to have to continue to pay to operate this site and we might have to close libraries or parks. And that's one of the major reasons it finally ended up getting done. So I have demonstrated courage and independence to stand up to special interests over and over again. I like hearing that. Yeah. I certainly <laughs> like hearing that. Different than Todd. And our life am... experiences, sorry. Oh, no, no, no worries. I, I, I love it. I love your passion. I think it comes from the fact that uh, it's funny. I did a quick, uh, just before we picked up, I did one of those internet searches and uh, I was like, oh, I've got myself a fellow Aries on my hands. Oh, and it's your birthday. I'm April 8th. And I'm the 9th. And you're the ninth. And I was like, oh, we're going to get along fine. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the housing, that was something I talked to Todd a lot about because here I am, I'm 50 years old. I'm renting. I fell victim to uh, the recession. My family, we lost our home and uh, we've never been able to recover. And that's something as a, I've been in San Diego as long as you, I have so much passion for this town and it, it really bums me out that I'm not able to invest and, and plant the flag in my city. And the, the thought of that is daunting when there are places right across the street that are selling for millions of dollars. And I don't think I'll ever be able to own a home again in San Diego. And how do you respond to that? So that is very sad. And I have a very detailed plan, which I'll, I'll go give you the highlights. Uh, first of all, I believe San Diegans should be in control of what gets built in our neighborhoods, uh, not Sacramento. And uh, Todd has supported state legislation that would allow Sa Sacramento to dictate what gets built in our neighborhoods. He has also supported legislation that would eliminate single family zoning. I do not think that is the way we are going to provide housing that real families can afford. So here's what I will do. First of all, we need to revamp our development services department it simply takes too long to get a permit, even when we know exactly what is allowed on a piece of land. Second, the pandemic is going to offer us the opportunity 
for what I call adaptive reuse of commercial and office buildings as many of us continue to work remotely. And we should encourage a, a remote workforce. Um, it is much cheaper than building new housing. Some of this can be rental housing. Some of this can be for sale housing. This is being done in other cities all over the country, adaptive reuse of commercial and office. Third, I will enforce our existing laws against short-term vacation rentals in our neighborhoods. Todd thinks he can regulate this industry and allow them. They are prohibited under our current law. We do not need a new law. This is 16,000 housing units in our beach areas, in the urban core. Many of them smaller units that were affordable to families to buy or rent. And now they are out of the housing market. So I will bring them back to the housing market either to be lived in by owner occupants or by long-term renters. Uh, fourth, I will continue to support uh, updating community plans to allow appropriate density along transit with more focus on for sale housing uh, balanced with rentals housing so that we can allow more people to buy a home. And fifth, I'm going to um, start a down payment assistance plan for first time home buyers modeled after what the California Housing Finance Agency does we get a little bit of money from that every year. It helps between 80 and 100 families. That is not enough. We started a program uh, to help police officers buy a home in the city. And uh, we were able to leverage a little bit of city money with community and reinvestment bank money and private philanthropy. And I think we can do the same uh, to allow more people in San Diego to buy a home. And the last opportunity is modular. Uh, modular housing only works when you have the factory near the end location because of the transportation cost. I've sure. talked with a major investor that is planning to build a modular factory in Tijuana. This is game changing. And they believe they can deliver units for 100 to 200,000, depending on the size, uh, including land. So this is game changing. And they can be for sale. They can be rental. Um, and so I think there are many things we can do. I have a multi-pronged approach on how we're going to provide housing that real families can afford. As it relates to, and this is something that's also, oh boy, a, a very sensitive and uh, near and dear subject to my heart. And, and that's the, um, always the elephant in the room, which is the homeless situation here in San Diego. And it's, it's more daunting to me today than ever, because I feel like for the first time, I'm seeing my peers face the possibility of being homeless. And I feel like homelessness has entered the middle class and it, you know, especially during this pandemic. And I worry the problem is going to get worse, but how do we attack it before? Is there a way to attack the problem before it does start compounding and perpetuating? Yeah. So we have people become homeless for different reasons. And I think what I'm most concerned about during the pandemic is that, you know, a significant number of people have lost their jobs. So Correct. They, not, they do not have the money to pay the rent. Um, I am voting for Joe Biden for president. Uh, my husband and I are going to vote on election day. And um, I, I am optimistic that if he wins, uh, we will have a, an effective stimulus package 
that will put direct financial relief into uh, the hands of families who need the money to pay their rent or their mortgage. So that is the long-term, but long-term we need to get San Diegans back to work and yeah. I have ideas for that. But let's talk about homelessness today. Um, what, first of all, the numbers in San Diego are going down. We just had a report yesterday at the Public Safety Committee of the uh, City Council. I sit on that committee. And uh, every January we do a point in time count and our numbers are down 12% year over year. Uh, and this is in comparison with other cities on the West Coast, you know, seeing significant increases. So we are doing a lot of the right things here. Oh, uh, compared to Los Angeles, it's, it's a war zone in LA right now, it's crazy. Yeah, so we're doing our bridge shelters, which we closed down to move everybody to the convention center. But what we're seeing now on the street are the chronic homeless. These are people, most of them have been offered the opportunity to go to the convention center or somewhere else during the pandemic, but they have rejected it because mm -hmm. there are no illegal drugs or alcohol are allowed. So we are seeing the people who are left on the street clearly uh, cannot take, most of them cannot take care of themselves and they need an intervention. Uh, the city is now taking more steps to do more outreach to these individuals but at the end of the day, we're going to have to be willing to enforce our vagrancy laws because it is not humane to leave these people on the streets. We will have to work with the court system to do that. We will have to have additional shelter beds and substance and mental health programs to be able to do that. That will require closer coordination with the county. Our relationship with the county has improved during the pandemic. The convention center has been very successful at getting people off the street identifying their individual needs and getting them the help that they need. Uh, and I'm honored that Father Joe Carroll has endorsed me, who has spent his life, um, you know, advocating for the homeless and implementing programs that were effective. And uh, as it relates to getting uh, back to what you were saying and getting San Diegans back to work, what's your thought process there as it relates to to not only the current landscape, but also big picture with income disparity and the fact that the cost of living so high, we're in a competitive market, it's easy to get squeezed out of gigs. Uh, I, I would love your thoughts on that. So I have two thoughts. First, I'm gonna talk about the hospitality sector, which has been devastated the most. I'll talk about my long-term vision, which focuses on growing tech and biotech. Two growth sectors that create good jobs with Agreed. the sector jobs. So first, the hospitality sector has been devastated the most. Uh, the convention center is closed. Uh, we have been able to use it uh, for homeless and that's a good use. Uh, as I talk to hotel industry uh, and the convention center uh, leaders, it looks like conventions are not coming back till the summer at the earliest and then earliest. at much reduced capacity. But there is something that we are doing now. First of all, our, the individual tourism business is fairly strong and that's Friday through Monday. Uh, families, because people are working remotely, kids can go to school remotely. The individual tourism business has extended past the summer, but that doesn't account for midweek business. Um, other states are allowing corporate meetings to happen. We are one of only a few states that is not allowing a corporate meeting. That's like between, 20 and 300 doctors, dentists, real estate agents, scientists getting together in a hotel, not the convention center, uh, for a meeting. And other places are doing these meetings very safely. 
And last week I was at the Manchester Grand Hyatt where they showed me all the protocols uh, they have in place for corporate meetings. Um, as this is some, a man, the state is not allowing them. So this is something that has to change on a statewide level. And as mayor, I will advocate that for counties who are in the tier we are in or a less restrictive tier that we be allowed uh, to open our up for corporate meetings. Uh, this will Good. help our hospitality industry. We'll get people back to work so they can afford to pay the rent um, and we'll generate more revenue for the cities, uh, both hotel tax revenue and sales tax revenue. So that's hospitality, uh, which is something we can do immediately. Not getting it back to where it was, but at least making a dent. Um, Long-term, my economic vision for the city focuses on developing a major jobs center downtown and in Otay Mesa. Downtown yes. focused on tech and biotech. And I've been talking about it for years and now it's happening. The revitalization of Horton Plaza and that'll be opening in the next year or two years. We uh, should be Austin. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm passionate about this. We should be Austin 2.0. We should be no different than Austin, Texas, in my opinion, yeah, when it comes to technology. And yep. then, then about a month ago, a new real estate investment trust announced they're buying the Manchester complex along the Bayfront. And their goal is a major biotech center. And this is important because this is several million square feet of space. Uh, and biotech, one company doesn't want to come unless they know others are going to be there. And so by having such a massive project, it truly is going to bring biotech downtown both new biotech companies and as existing companies expand, downtown is going to be a serious consideration, mostly because a lot of their workforce lives south of eight. And as right. mayor, I am going to promote this to the world. And given my background in this world, I am the right mayor at this time. This next part is, sadly, children growing up in the southern part of the city have historically not had access to these jobs and we must change that. That's why as mayor, my office will include a school engagement coordinator who will develop structured relationships between schools and employers, and our focus will be on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and other employers, um, so that as children grow up, they understand all the job opportunities available to them, and as they get older, they will have access to paid internships, and these paid internships will be downtown which are very accessible on public transit from the southern part of the city. Um, a game-changing thing also is that the trolley, the blue line, connecting downtown to the UTC area will be done by the end of 2021. And this will connect downtown to the UTC area, which is the number one employment center in the region where biotech uh, is now centered, where we have UCSD. Yep. But we're gonna move, and then long-term, I see a biotech manufacturing or a biopharma manufacturing center in Otay Mesa where we have industrial land. There is gonna be a push to bring this manufacturing back to the United States so we control the supply chain. Otay Mesa is a perfect place. Almost every pharmaceutical in the company in the world has done business in San Diego, has invested in a biotech here, bought a biotech here, yep. uh, research facility here, they know San Diego. Uh, these jobs, again, are good jobs. They don't require a college degree. Uh, Miracosta Community College, for example, has a biotech manufacturing certificate program. Uh, there is a biotech manufacturing cluster up in North County right now. 
and I see expanding this in the South Bay. So I have a broad economic vision for the city. You don't have to be a scientist or an engineer to benefit from this. I mean, the service sector jobs, construction, accounting, finance, banking, yep. hotels, restaurants will all benefit uh, from the expansion of this world. Yeah, I just want to make sure our city continues to, and this is something I was really expressing and have expressed for a long time, it's just that community feel. I just don't want our city to become so, it feels a, very transient as of late. And I, I really hope if you should become mayor that we really do cater to true San Diegans because I feel like we're a, a rare breed these days. I don't know if that makes sense, but I said to Todd, sometimes I feel like I'm a stranger in my own town. And I really hope that we're considering not only ourselves, but our children and our grandchildren. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's uh, my theme, and uh, I'm older than you. So, uh, Neil, you know, I'm married to my second and last husband, Neil Centuria, and <laughs> we each brought two children to our marriage. We have four children in their 30s. They all married people we adore. Uh, right now, we have three grandchildren living in San Diego, and we have uh, three more coming in San Diego between... Uh, February, actually, they're coming in February. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. And we have another grandchild in the Bay Area coming uh, any day now. Uh, Neil's daughter and her husband live in the Bay Area. But everybody else lives here. And uh, the uh, finale will be my daughter, Rachel, and her husband, Daniel, having identical twin boys in March. And, wow. Uh, and I'm very proud. They're both school teachers here. Yeah. And you want to keep them here, obviously. <laughs> So my uh, last couple of questions for you here as we wrap up, as somebody who has spent the last uh, several multiple decades at the beach and I'm um, an avid surfer and I've been on the board at Surfrider for decades and oh. knowing you live in La Jolla, just curious your take on our beach communities and what needs to be done in our beach communities because I have a lot to say on that subject. Yeah. So first of all, uh we want to preserve our beach communities. Uh, and that's one reason I want to enforce our existing laws against short-term rentals in our neighborhoods because Good. the short-term rentals and Todd wants to regulate the industry. I don't know what that means. This in these, they do not belong in neighborhoods. These are hotels in neighborhoods. I agree. We tourists, And we have hotels for tourists and that's, you know, and I want tourists, you know, and I want to get hospitality back. Of on course. Tourists. But one way of preserving our beach communities for San Diegans is to make sure that San Diegans get to live in our beach communities. Uh, so that is very, very important to me. Uh, that I think is the number one issue in the beach communities. I mean, we're facing sea level rise and all the other issues. And um, crime. Crime. Um, and you know, Pacific Beach is one of the highest crime areas in the city. Uh, it's a war zone. And the bars. And uh, I'm actually, I've uh, been working with uh, community members in that uh, area about what we can do um, as bar licenses come up for renewal, their models in Ventura and other places of holding um, business owners more accountable for what happens on the premises and after people leave the premises. I want the business owners to be successful, but not at the expense of public safety. Good to hear. And uh, my, my final question for you here, it's a real hard hitting one. Uh, what brought you to San Diego and what made you really fall? What was the first thing you fell in love with about the city? 
So, uh, so I know you looked at my background. So I came to California in 1976 to be a reporter for the Sacramento Bee. And in 1977, they sent me to cover a builder's convention in San Francisco. And that's where I met my first husband, Pat. And so I came to San Diego to see him. And uh, he and I fell in love. Uh, one of the first places he took me was to La Jolla Cove. And I fell in love with the beach and the ocean. And, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia and I got to go to the New Jersey, we used to call it the seashore. Um, of course. But, you know, that, compare. that was, it was a few hours away. It wasn't like yeah. right there. So and I thought, horse flies and it smells and yeah. the ocean's gross. Yeah. So I thought, this is amazing. Uh, we started dating. Uh, then I got a job at the LA Times, but I'm living in LA initially. And uh, we got married. Uh, I got pregnant. Uh, then I moved here full time um, in 1981 when I was like eight months pregnant with our oldest daughter. So it's wow. And, and actually, so I should actually thank the U.S. Navy. Uh, my first husband grew up in a little town in Michigan, and he went into the Navy during the era of the Vietnam War, and they sent him to San Diego. And after he got out uh, in the 60s, he thought, "Huh, I could go back to Michigan, or I could stay here." Right, that old story. Yeah. So that's how I, I it. here. It's a man. A man brought me here. And once I saw San Diego uh, and it was a very different town back in 77. I remember going right. to UTC, which opened and it was like in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing around it. The UCSD campus was tiny uh, compared with what it is today. Um, and I've um, seen the town, um, I think, grow, uh, become more diverse. Uh, I've seen the tech and biotech worlds grow. I, you know, I got to work at the Connect program in the early days, helping start high tech and biotech companies. When I remember, I could have counted the number of life science companies on two hands back in 1986. Um, and my life has been about growing the pie, uh, not fighting over the pie that might be 10 by 10, but let's right. say, how can we make it 20 by 20 and share that prosperity with everybody? And that's what I bring to being the mayor. And I think my private sector experience is very relevant. The fact that I've been at City Hall for four years, combined with the private sector experience, combined with the fact that I've started two organizations that empower women, I have had a diverse life. And one thing I've learned throughout all the chapters in my life is you can't, what you did yesterday won't necessarily work today or tomorrow. And as an entrepreneur, I've had to innovate my whole life and that's what the city needs to do if wow. we're going to have a future. That resonates with me, Barbara. And I really appreciate your time and wish you the, uh, the best of luck on Tuesday. This has been a great discussion. Thank you, Chris. I hope to see you after the election. And that concludes this episode of The Cantori Show featuring mayoral candidates Barbara Bree, who we just heard from, and Todd Gloria. Tuesday, the big day, November 3rd. Needless to say, get out there and vote. Exercise that right. And I uh, do want to thank you for listening to this episode. As I mentioned earlier, feel free to subscribe to The Cantori Show, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. We also have other shows in our repertoire, if you will. Uh, we've got The Monday Mass, which is an action sports show featuring my friend uh, Chris Cote. We've got the Yacht Rock and Request, which is a Yacht Rock show, which you can find on Spotify and Anchor. And uh, we also have a show by the name of Unmanageable on Patreon, which I host 
with my old uh, radio partner, Merrill. Again, that's patreon.com, and then it's forward slash unmanageable. Something I've heard throughout my career. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I love San Diego. I want to stay here. I want you to stay here. I want us all to thrive, be safe, be healthy, be well. Until next show, CantoriShow.com. The Cantori Show. Cantori.